But let's go to Philippians chapter 1, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1. As we talk this morning about being thankful, sir, the fellows have sermon notes. If you don't have them from the bulletin, raise your hand, they'll get that so you can follow along. And what I'd like to do this week is just to kick off Thanksgiving. I know it's coming up, but again, you don't mind because there's already Christmas trees in all the stores. Okay, So we're doing things a little bit early, and I want to encourage you, starting today, that you would, by the time you walk out, you would have a goal of celebrating Thanksgiving a little bit earlier. Now, here's some thoughts that go through my mind. Okay, is it really, is it really biblical to have a Thanksgiving day? I'm going to answer it this way. This is my personal opinion, yes and no. Okay, the reason I say that is this. I say that, is it biblical that we give thanks? Oh, yeah. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to, his, to him, bless his name. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. We know that we are supposed to let us come before him with thanksgiving, extol him. Thanksgiving is a theme throughout scripture. Giving praise. In fact, whatever you do in word or deed, he says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ while giving thanks to God the Father. Father through him. And in fact, it's very, it's very clearly stated. It's God's will that you give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So we know that thanksgiving is a biblical thought. In fact, Paul mentions it in his thanksgiving note, the one that's most, most filled with positive news, that's Philippians. He talks about giving God thanks, doing things without murmuring and disputing. He talks about rejoicing and having that thankful spirit that even when we're praying, we're praying with thanksgiving. It's a theme through scripture. So you say, well, how did you say it's yes and no answer to this? Well, yes, we're supposed to be thankful. We're supposed to have that spirit. But the no part is, it's not supposed to be just one season or holiday of the year. That thanksgiving for the believer in Jesus Christ should be an everyday goal and attitude. Now, is that difficult? Sure it is. Sure it is. But it is something that we should be working on. In fact, let's focus in on the book, the Thanksgiving book. Let's focus in on Philippians, where he talks a lot about rejoicing and giving thanks and experiencing that positive mentality. In fact, 18 different times within this very letter, he mentions this idea of thanksgiving or joy or rejoicing. And so in chapter 1, when he's opening up the book, he is going to give his own personal comments. And what we get from chapter one is a boatload of different ideas about thanksgiving. In fact, it provides to us two practical areas that you and I should be working on when it comes to having this spirit of thanksgiving, giving even earlier than another week and a half. And so those two areas are this. Number one, I think you and I should work on being a person who is really, really thankful. Follow along as I read in the beginning of the book how Paul displays that. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now while being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet 
or proper for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. Now, when we do break it down, here's what we have. We have Paul being a thankful person, a good example of, thank, of being a thankful person. And when we start talking about his thanksgiving, I want you to catch this, it was very personal. He emphasizes that when he says, I myself, very emphatic in the original, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It is something that he says, and when he says, when I pray, he says, it's a part of my prayer. When I, I'm thankful for you, every time I think about you, every time I pray for you, while I'm making requests with joy, you thrill my heart. You are a blessing to me. He talks about later on in the book. He says, I rejoiced greatly. Even when he's writing this, things weren't going his way. I'll come back to that in a moment. But he has personal thanksgiving. He says that it is something that I have learned, that I've learned in whatsoever state that I'm supposed to be content. I'm supposed to have a thankful heart, not just looking and saying, okay, things should be different. So we know from Paul's experience that his thanksgiving was personal. His thanksgiving is repeated. You're breaking down the words. I thank my God over and over again. This was his habit. This was his nature. This wasn't just on on November time. This wasn't just during a holiday time. He says, this was the way that I normally worked. That I normally was making making, uh, requests with joy. That I have this spirit of thanksgiving. Something else that strikes me is expressed. That Paul he doesn't keep it to himself. He expresses his thanksgiving. He expresses to all the saints in, in Christ Jesus. He says to you, I want to let you know I am thankful for you. I appreciate you. I, I think you are a blessing to my heart. I think that you have been a thrill to me. And he tells them about it. He lets them know. He expresses it to God and to those people that he's a thankful person. In other words, he's not a silent thanksgiver. He's not a closet thanksgiver or praiser. He is one that openly shows others that he has this spirit. He shares with them. He lets them know. He would let his, if he were living today, he would let his family know, I am really grateful for you. He would let his friends know, I am really grateful for you. He would let his fellow worshipers know, I am really grateful for you. The challenge to me, he would let his congregation that he's ministering to, to say, I am really grateful to you people and for you people. Amen, 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 amen. That is so true. That I am. You see, Paul isn't this type of person that takes his blessings for granted. He would look around at the people and the things and the the blessings, both physical and spiritual, that God has allowed into his life, and he would rejoice over it. He would not neglect giving praise. Did you find yourself in that film? (laughs) That all of a sudden, man, we do take a lot of things for granted. We've probably done that this morning. Just think if that pew disappeared right about now. <laughs> the people behind you are glad it's there. Okay? Paul is one of those people he's thankful. It was a part of his life. It was his makeup. Not something that he said the church should do it. Though he did. He said something I should do. He's grateful for what God has done. What God has provided for him. Look at chapter, chapter 1 verse 5. He says earlier, I am thankful upon my, to my God upon every remembrance for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He was thankful for the people around him. He was thankful for the fellowship he has with other believers. That they were a blessing to him. That they were bonded in Jesus Christ. That they had a unity that was there that they could 
cry with one another, that they could weep and rejoice with one another, that they could help one another and support one another. And by the way, he knows that this church isn't perfect. But he was grateful for them. He was thankful for them. And he didn't take them for granted. In fact, he says, I am thankful for every one of you. No, don't take this wrong. But look at verse 1, who he includes in this letter. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, including the bishops and deacons. He was thankful for the deacons in a church. Wow. Well, we are too, aren't we? We're thankful for them. We're thankful for those who, who serve, those who help, those who... We have a unity in Jesus Christ because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and you say, well, I don't feel that. It's because maybe you're not born again. You're not in the family of God. When you come to a point where you acknowledge that you are a sinner, which we all are, and that you can't get to heaven on your own, you pray and ask Christ to give you complete forgiveness of all your sins. And he says that whosoever shall call upon him shall be saved. And he saves us. He forgives us of all of our sins, past, present, and future. And he says, then I mark a place down in my book of life so that come the future when you die or when I come back I look in that book and if your name is there because you have called upon me you will be in heaven but not only not only does he reserve that spot for us in heaven but he changes us from the inside he gives us a love that we didn't have before he gives us a peace that passes understanding he bonds us with one another he bonds us with Christ with the Holy Spirit who brings into our life conviction comfort counsel as we need it who assists us and guides us May I tell you God has done such a marvelous ministry in our lives it's too often we take I shouldn't say it too often I take it for granted I take for granted the answers to prayer. I take for granted that I'm be able to hold God's word. I take for granted that I can have glasses that can help me to see and to read. I take for granted the heat, the light. No, the light in the auditorium is different, is it not, this morning because we change things? But there are some people who are stuck in darkness. Total darkness. We have been given the light of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. What a joy to know that. He's grateful for the changes that has come into the lives of these people. Who in the past, they were against the word of God. When he went there and first preached, they challenged him. They tried to beat him. Put him in jail. They tried to keep people in bondage to Satanism and demonism and the occult. But they were freed by the grace of Jesus Christ. By the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is so grateful even though it's been years. It's been over 10 years since he went in Acts 16 and started this church. He is still grateful for these people. He hasn't gotten used to them. He hasn't started taking them for granted. He's grateful for the help and the support that they as a church have given to him. You understand. He's a missionary. That they have... They have supported him they have not given up even when he says in verse 7 he says i have you in my heart in the even while i'm involved with being in bonds he's in prison at this moment why because the defense and the confirmation of the gospel and you people are with me you're partakers of this grace you have been supportive of me even though now i'm a criminal even though i'm a jailbird because of preaching the gospel you folk have stood by me you have prayed for me in fact he talks about that later on that your care of me has flourished. They were the only church he'll mention in chapter 4 when he he says you are the only church who has communicated with me. Chapter 4 verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving. That is they are the only church that provided him some financial assistance in his mission endeavors. And he doesn't take that for granted. He is appreciative of their financial support that helps him to be able to focus in on ministry. And so he's not taking that for granted. He's thankful. 
He's a thankful person personally, consistently. He's an individual who gives praise to others and expresses it even when, even when the people that he's talking to aren't all that they should be. They're not all that they could be. They still have areas of growth. Look in chapter 1 where he says, I am confident of this very thing, verse 6, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. In other words, it's not complete. They still have the working of God needed in their life. There are still areas to grow in. He will mention those areas in verses 8, 9, 10, 11 where he says, I'm even praying that you would learn to love better, that you'd have wisdom better, that you'd have more purity. And so he is talking to people that he says, you've got some weaknesses, but I love you. I appreciate you. I thank God for you. Even in chapter 4, you'll read in verse 2, where he writes and he says, there's two of you ladies in the church that are having this ongoing conflict and feud, Yodias and Syntyche. He says, I am praying, I am writing that those people would reconcile and get their conflict taken care of. His point is, even when there's people in the body, in the body who aren't perfect, who aren't mature, and isn't that all of us? There's people in the body who still struggle at times with attitudes towards one another. Isn't that all of us? He is saying, I am thankful for you. I appreciate you. And he expresses that thanksgiving. He is a thankful person, even when, think this through, even when things were not going his way. Things were not pleasant. He did not like what was going on around him to some degree. And yet he is thankful. Hey, listen, did you notice that this week some people didn't like the results? Is that, a, is that an understatement? Okay. That some people are really, really upset that in the high schools they're bringing grief counselors for the high schoolers to be able to cope with the election results. That in, at Yale University, one professor felt so bad for the students that were traumatized by the election, he canceled the midterm elections. Okay. And then, and then we have the rioting that's taking place. Because... because this just makes no sense. I'm sorry. This just makes no sense to me. I have not seen Christians out rioting and protesting when they didn't get their candidate. I didn't see others do this. But that person who gets elected, he's dangerous to the country because he's going to cause unrest to the country. <laughs> Who's doing the rioting? Who's sending out these types of comments going public? Who's the ones who are threatening people? It it makes no sense. In other words, let me rephrase it. They claim Trump is going to destroy America as they destroy America. There's an irony. Now, whether you or I voted for Trump, that's not the issue. The issue is sometimes things don't go our way. And even the millennials need to learn that not everybody gets a participation award in elections. And get a share of the White House. It doesn't work that way. But I guess if you train society that everybody's equal and everybody gets to win, okay, they can't handle losing once in a while. Okay, so there's a, there's a problem here. But before we cast stones at say, okay, what about those individuals? What about us? What about us when things don't go our way in other areas? Politics could be one. But what if you were like Paul and you were sitting in jail? Jail because you preached the word of God. So that you were imprisoned, you were persecuted. Let's make, this, let's make this different. What if you were fired because you gave out tracts? What if you were, you were mocked because you talk at work or at school about the Bible? You turn in a, pr- a paper 
that supports something that the teacher doesn't like. You turn in a paper that supports creation as opposed to evolution, and you get an F. How are you going to respond? Paul says that while I'm sitting in prison, while I'm having conflicts that have happened to me, I am still working on being a person who is rejoicing. I am still working on having the characteristics where I rejoice. And again, I say rejoice that whenever I think of you, whenever I think of other situations, I am giving thanks. And he says, and he says I have learned in whatsoever state I am therein to become content. He is an individual when things weren't going his way. He was working on and becoming and practicing a thankful spirit, a rejoicing spirit. They didn't go his way. When there is times he's hungry, go to chapter 4, where he talks about, and he says later on, he says, yeah, sometimes I was hungry. And he says, I know, okay, I have learned in verse 11, whatsoever state to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound in everywhere, in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. And he says, I've learned. In the hungry moments, when my physical needs are being challenged, when I am hungry for food, when I am thirsty for companionship, when I am struggling with lack of sleep or whatever, I am working on having a thankful spirit, the proper spirit. And you say, boy, that's really, that's really hard. We joked about it in Sunday school. When somebody is hangry, okay, or hungry and angry, you know, working on this, the, that different spirit. Look at verse 13. That follows this statement up where he says, I have learned. And he says, and this is the context. I can do what? All things, including giving thanks even when I'm hungry. Include giving thanks even when I'm lonely. Having a thankful spirit when the job isn't going the way, when the work isn't going the way, when the elections aren't going the way I wanted them. I am working on having a thankful spirit. He says... I am working on a thankful spirit even when, he says, hey, things didn't go my way. I was going through an illness with one of my bestest of friends. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, he talks about a friend who came and ministered to him. His name is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, he describes, he says, as he talks about him, he says, I suppose, verse 25, it's necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, my fellow soldier, the one you sent earlier, your messenger, and he ministered to my wants. He was here, he was helping me, for he longed after you all. He was full of heaviness, especially because you heard he was sick, and indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. And Paul couldn't do anything about it. He didn't have that power to randomly lay hands on and heal Epaphroditus at this point. And so Paul says, he almost died. But I was working on being thankful. I'm going to lose one of my closest companions. And my, one of my best friends. In fact, I'm going to lose, a, he's like to me, a family member. My son in the faith, he calls him. His name is Timothy. You look back at the previous verses of chapter 2, starting with around verse 17, 18, 19, 20. He is saying, I am rejoicing. I am praising. Even though I have to say goodbye to Timothy, I am still giving thanks. And I am thankful for those moments even when I don't have the people around me that I wish I had. I don't have the goods. I don't have the, the, the physical comforts that I used to have. I, I don't have a perfect world around me. But I'm working on being a thankful person. Are you? Are you that type of person that you're willing to work at practicing Thanksgiving even early this year? Hey, listen, let's see if we can be practical about it. I'm going to challenge you to go beyond just sitting here and listening and saying, oh, I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to challenge you to do something to be thankful. I'm going to challenge you in one way this morning to do this. 
That if you are going to work in an early Thanksgiving, that this week, not next week, this week, you write three thank you. Oh, no. Let's rephrase that. Let's write four thank you notes. Four different thank you notes. Thank you notes that you are personally expressing your appreciation for someone. And let's target these someones. Let's write one to a family member. Somebody who is within your immediate family that you would like to say and express that you are thankful for them. And you let them know that. Number two, write to a friend. A friend. Somebody who is in your acquaintances at school, at work, you name it. But somebody that you are thankful for them and you let them know that. You express it. You do what the Bible says. Like in the the example of Paul. Where he even says in this letter, follow my example. You do it. You actually write, take the time to write a thank you note to a family member, to a friend. Write a third one to an unsaved person. A third person, your neighbor, a a boss, somebody around you, and include a gospel tract with it. That you write them and say, I appreciate you, what you do, and I want to share with you something that is precious to me. It's Jesus Christ. And if you ever have questions, I will gladly answer your questions, but I'm going to give you a thank you. I just want to let you know I appreciate you. And I would like to share a little bit of my faith with you via this note, this card, this letter, this tract. There's the fourth one, and I'm not giving them by order, but the fourth one I think is so appropriate. You should write a letter to God. You should write your own psalm. You should write your own thank you note to God Almighty saying, this is what I really thank you for, God. Now, when you're done with that book, okay, which it could be, when you're done with that, then hang on to it because you're going to need it later on when Satan attacks and tries to discourage. You can pull it out and you can remind yourself of the blessings that God has given you. In fact, you can be adding to it in the days ahead. But I would, I would encourage you, I would challenge you that instead of just looking and saying, ah, oh, there's people who aren't thankful about this, that, or the other thing, you become one who is and you practice thanksgiving actually, purposefully, practically, you do it this week for thank you notes. Okay, now that's one area. Work on being a person who is thankful. In this text of Philippians chapter 1, there is another area to work on that goes hand in hand. Not only work on being a thankful person, work on becoming a person for whom others can be thankful. Work on becoming that type of person for for whom others can be thankful. Paul encouraged that in the uh, lives of the Philippians. Paul did that himself as he's displaying to these people in Philippi where he says, follow my example. Are you an individual that people are thankful for? No no doubt. No doubt. Your immediate family would say, yeah, they are. Most of you. Your immediate family would say, well, maybe not some of us. But the immediate family say, thank you. I'm talking about beyond just your immediate family that you're clothing and you're feeding and you're providing for. I'm talking about others around you in your full circle of contacts. Are you the type of person that others appreciate? Now, Paul was. He's thankful, but he's also a person for whom they can be thankful. And he was thankful for them. Watch what he does. What he is that creates this type of thanksgiving in the hearts of other people. Paul was an individual who had the positive attitude. And he's telling these people in chapter 3, follow my example. But he had a positive attitude. We've already talked about that. We've already said to be thankful, be content, be rejoicing. This is a fact of life, is it not? We would rather be around somebody who is upbeat, positive, thankful than around a grump and a complainer. That's true of all of us. Well, most all of us. 
I would say, that we would rather, we, we celebrate the getting around somebody who is just an encourager by their attitude, by their actions. We don't really thrill over somebody that you walk up to and say, so how are you doing? And they say, terrible. And you ask, really? How so? And they take your ear for an hour and a half. And they tell you, in that hour and a half, what are you doing? You're looking for somebody else to go talk to. That's true. That's true of all of us. Okay, what kind of person we want to be? A person who is real. And there's times where we need to be real. Where we share and we need to listen. And we need to share our heartaches and our burdens. I understand that. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But I'm talking generally, overall. We should work on having that positive, thankful spirit. It draws people. Like the bees to the honey, it draws people where they see somebody who has joy, who is rejoicing. There's something else, okay, that we should be having in our life. Something that Paul encouraged in their lives, he had in his own life. Not whining, not complaining, thankful spirit. Number two, here's another area to work on. Serve the Lord. Actually serve the Lord. The reason I'm emphasizing the word actually, because if I went around this room right now with people who are gathered to worship, and we went one by one and said, are you going to serve the Lord? Every one of you in the room would say, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. But actually means, what are you going to do come Monday? What are you actually going to do come Tuesday? What are you actually going to do when it comes to Wednesday? And there's a prayer to What are you going to actually do Thursday at work when God says, give out a tract? What are you actually going to do on Friday when God says, you need to go and reconcile a conflict between you and another person? What are you going to do actually on Saturday when it comes to an entertainment day? In what you do and what you say and how how you speak. What are you going to do actually next Sunday? When it's actual time to study God's word in depth at multiple different occasions. What are you actually going to do for serving? Now, here's what actually happens in Paul's life. Actually, Paul says, this is the truth. And I, the Holy Spirit, he's leading me to say this. He says in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the douloi of Jesus Christ. We have been bought with a price. We were on the marketplace. That's douloi. The lowest of the servants, a slave. A slave who was purchased by Christ, and he is proud of it. He isn't saying, I'm an apostle, listen to me. He says, no, this is my highest calling. I serve Jesus Christ. I am his slave. So much so that I would travel to your city and share the gospel. I would go way out of my way to bring somebody the word of God. That's how much I think about Jesus Christ. I want the whole world to know I travel there. I share the gospel. When I'm sharing the gospel in your city, Acts chapter 16, when he's at Philippi, he shares the gospel. They get upset. They don't like it. They put him in jail, but he continues to share the gospel. In fact, at night while he's sitting in jail, what is he doing? He's singing praises to God. The earthquake happens. He gets out. And what's he do? He stays there to help minister and establish these people before he leaves. He wants them to have a solid foundation. And then he says, you know what? I enjoyed my stay at your town so much. I want to come back. And he says, I'm looking forward to that because this is serving Jesus Christ. It's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. But it's a joy to serve Jesus. That's the type of person Paul wanted to be and was. That's the type of person you and I should strive to be. Somebody who has a positive attitude. Somebody who actually does service for the Lord. Let's give you another thought here. Somebody who actually, genuinely is concerned about others. Concerned. Okay, we know this. Paul writes in chapter 1, he says, It is appropriate, it is proper for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart. 
I really love you people, Paul says. He says in verse 8, God is my record. This is not make-believe. This is not sermon, sermon speech. He says, this is true. God is my record, my witness, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I really, really do care about you. God can, say, God can stand up and be my witness that it is true. I love you. I care for you. So much so that it moves into action. It moves into action where he prays for them. Look what he does. He actually prays for the fellow believers. He says, and this I pray. What am I praying for? I am praying for these areas of your life. I'm praying that your love may overflow yet more and more. Hey, maybe, maybe the best way to understand this is this. You get that creek in the mountains. It's small. But that creek starts to blend in with other little creeks, and it grows. And it grows into a stream. It grows into a river. It grows into a major river, and it goes into the ocean of God's love. That's what he is saying, I want out of your life. I want you to move from a creek to an ocean, an overflowing of compassion and, under, and, and grace towards others. And that means forgiveness and charity. And I want this in your life. I want you to have this so you are in your love abounding more and more. But look at, he says, I am praying more for other things. I am praying for wisdom in your life. I am praying that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent. The idea is you assess them. You evaluate them. You know that we bought a different house. And in our basement, we're doing a little bit of renovation. The problem is the wall goes like this. It's supposed to go like this, but the wall has a bend in it. My thought is, you know what? If I just cover it the way the previous people did, nobody will know. Mm, Doesn't work that way, does it? Okay, we have to get in somebody who can look at that crack that's running across that wall. And me, I say, well, it's only an inch or two thick. You know, that's not bad. It's not that bad, but you know, it's just a big crack. That, my assessment doesn't count because I am not the pro- appropriate person to assess it. We got to bring in somebody who's an engineer who can assess that and say, this is what you do to make it right. Well, that's what he's writing to them. He says, you need an engineer in your life, a spiritual engineer to come in and to help assess, evaluate things. Because sometimes you and I don't evaluate things properly. We don't see things properly. We have a bias because we don't want to work so hard. We want others to accept the way we are. And he says, no, I want you to assess in your life. Is there the right attitude? Is there the right treatment? Is there the right relationship? Is there the the right conduct that you're having? He says, I want you to have that type of wisdom. I want that and I pray for that. I care for you so much. I want you to grow. Not only in love, not only in wisdom, but I want you to grow in purity. Look what he says in the passage. He says as he goes on, that you may be, verse 10, sincere. That is, genuine without hypocrisy, literally without cracks that would shine through the, uh, the, the broken jar. He says that you are true without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. So he cares so much for these people that he actually does something. He does the hardest, the most difficult of the spiritual disciplines. He takes time to pray for other people. He takes time to actually hold them up. Do you care that same way? Or is your life so busy in talking about caring for others, you don't have time to actually care, to pray, to know what's going on in their hearts where there might be a need? He says, not me. He says, by example, by example, I'm the type of person that I believe the Spirit of God would have me to be a person who genuinely cares so that I would not only love, but I would serve others. 
In verse chapter 2, verse 17, he makes this comment about service. He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice, or I joy and rejoice with you all. I find this a privilege, he says. A privilege to serve you, to love you and pray for you, but then to actually do something for you, like writing you. Taking the time to write. Taking the time to express. Taking the time to point out needs in their life. Not from a pompous, arrogant position, but areas that you need to grow in. Areas that there, is, there is needs to be improvement. Needs to say, I, I care for you. I want you to serve. I want you. I will even give up the personal help that I have that those people can come and help you. Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were ministering unto my needs, we read in chapter 2. They were helping me out in my needs, he says, but my needs aren't more important than your needs. And so I'm sending them so they can teach you. They can help you. They can build you. I'm going to serve others. By letting others have more of the luxury of teaching. By having others more of the opportunity. In fact, I will take not only giving up peoples who can help you. But I will give, I will give out the teaching that you need. I will write you. I will come again and teach you some more. After 10 years, I know that there's still need for teachers. And Paul says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to come, I'm going to see you, I'm going to come and minister to you. I long to be there, I want to teach. I want to communicate and give you the word of God. I'm going to actually do something. Instead of just express it, which is good. I'm going to activate my, my spirit. And I'm going, to, I'm going to work at being a good teacher. Chapter 4 he says, I'm going to write you. And when I write you, I see that the Odeus and Syntyche have a problem. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to try to get involved and be the peacemaker here. And so he actually serves others and puts others ahead of himself. Good example. Good example. No wonder they're thankful for Paul. No wonder Paul says you should do the same thing I do so that you can be a thankful person. But he treats others well. You want to see how he treats them well? Not only by sacrifice and caring for them, but can I make an observation here? That he treats them well when he writes about them. When he writes about them and thinks about them in chapter 1. When he writes to them, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer, making requests. I am thankful for your fellowship. I am, verse 6, confident of this very thing that he which hath begun. He knows that there's issues. He knows that there's areas for growth. But he doesn't focus in on them and them only. He speaks well of these people. When they come to mind, he isn't critical. He's complimentary. When they come to mind, he is caring and trying to build up rather than to tear down. He is, he is treating them well even by his saying, you know what? I believe in the future, you're going to even do better. I believe in the future, you're going to succeed. Isn't it a tendency in our circles, in our area, that we are negative in communicating at times, we find the flaws. And we say to kids, kids in our own families, you'll never amount to anything if you don't da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, Paul starts off and says, I'm confident you're going to keep on growing. And he speaks from a treating well, respectful com, uh, position that he is sharing about. And in fact, he tells others, us, about these people. And speaks well to others, us, about these people. Oh, he isn't, being, he isn't being flighty. He isn't being phony. He lets us know that they have areas to grow in. But he speaks well of them initially. When you speak of others that you worship with, do you speak well of them? 
do you commend them? See, that's the type of person that he says, you and I will be thankful for. Somebody who's an encourager. Somebody who's an exhorter. Somebody who's an example. Are we that to those who are closest to us? Are we that to our fellow worshipers? Are we that to our co-workers and classmates? He does something else. That to me, this is the difficult one. This is difficult to do at times. Spend time with others. Where he says, okay... I enjoyed your fellowship. And it was great. And I really, really thank God because your fellowship from the, in the gospel from the first until now, it has been a delight. But then he writes and he says, I long to have fellowship with you again. Oh, I long to go to heaven. That's the verse. If you go down, chapters 1, verses 21, 22, 23. He says, I am in a twixt. I'm in a straight between a twixt. I have a desire to go to heaven, but I have a desire to remain. What is holding him back? You people. I want to remain and still be in your fellowship here. So much so that I want to, I want to postpone going to see Jesus Christ because I care for you people. You and I can understand that, can't we? Don't we sometimes in our thoughts, in, real, in the real world of thinking, yes, I want to get to heaven, but I don't want to go without my family. I want them to be with me when I go to heaven. I don't want the undertaker. I want the upper taker. So we all go at the same time. So Paul's saying that's where I'm at. Because I love your fellowship. I long to be with you. I have you in my heart. Seriously. Do you long to be in church with other worshipers? Do you long to have other Christians in fellowship? Do you, do, you, do you look forward to that, or does it become a mundane obligation? Well, Paul says, no, this is my attitude. I, like, I want to spend time with these people. You know what it comes down to, and this is the challenge. Genuine Christian care means personal interaction, personal contact. I think it requires more of you and me, that genuine Christian care requires more than just, okay, let's get together as a community, let's sing, and then let's walk away and not have any interaction. I think that what's required in the genuine, caring Christian community is at times fellowship. Fellowship that is more than just, oh, how you doing this week in between Sunday school and the morning service? Or shake hands as we walk across the parking lot. I think what it's calling for is that you, me, Christian leaders, Christian mature Christians, that what we do is we make opportunity for fellowship, that we do give up an evening, that we do give up some of our time and go and visit. Even some of those who can't have Christian fellowship. You care? You, you love? When's the last time you went and visited some of the shut-ins? That's the type of people they will be thankful for. And you will hear from the lips of those who cannot come to worship that they would say to you, your visit means a lot to me. I appreciate you. Now, we don't do it for the applause, but that's where Christianity is where the rubber meets the road. Where he says, true and pure and undefiled religion is this. Visit the widows. Doesn't that what he's saying, James? Where he says, we treat others well. That we spend time with others. That's what he's talking about. That's what Paul was living up to. What about you? What about you in your life? What areas are you working on that you say, okay, if I work on these areas, how will that impact? I'm telling you, you will be appreciated. Now, you don't do it for the praise of men. You do it for the glory of Christ. 
but you will become a person that others will be thankful for. And that's this text. This text is becoming thankful and becoming a person for whom others can give thanks. And I think it's in that order too. And as we do, we glorify God. We give praise to God. As we strive to be that person that, that is one that can encourage others, we aren't doing it for their praise. We aren't doing it for their, we're doing it for the glory of God to whom we're giving thanks. And he says, okay, this is a challenge. This is celebrating Thanksgiving early. Actually being thankful this week, communicating it with some notes. Actually working on some areas that you and I, and we all have one area, if not all of these areas, to work on. To say, this is what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to be working on being this type of person so as to be an encourager, an exhorter, a friend, and an example to others. You know, it's easy to talk about these things. It's so hard to do. It's hard to do to walk in early in the morning, Sunday, find out some things in the building aren't right. And I have other things I want to do, but now I've got to get some things in the building not right. Then we get the phone calls of people who are sick. Okay, now we've got to manage that. Oh, I forgot something, and it, I didn't get it into the computer for this sermon the way I needed to get into it. And then I fire up the computer, and the computer has a glitch. Right about that time, I want a hammer. None of you, none of you would do this. Okay. But right about that time, and then I walk out front, check the front yard, and somebody walked the dog and didn't pick up after it out, right out front here. And it's just like, come on. It's nothing major, but for me, it's those little things that get me out of sorts. I guess I'm the only one here that would do that. Okay. You know, all I expected yet to go on this day is the car would leave me set. So I had this challenge. This challenge for you. That I bought a bunch of these little things for you to say, okay, let's work on Thanksgiving this week. And my challenge was going to be, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand these things out. These little smiley faces at the end of the service. That say, hey, put it in your pocket. Put it somewhere this next week. And when you touch it, when you see it, think Thanksgiving. Am I thankful? Am I a type of person with the people I'm around right now that they'd be thankful for. Some of you notice that in Sunday school, I kept this in my hand the entire time. I needed it. I needed it during that, during that moment, not to get my mind distracted. Because unlike you, I can be doing one thing and thinking grumpy thoughts about something else. None of you would probably do that. Okay? Not on a Sunday morning. It's God's day. Okay? So I kept it in my hand all through Sunday school. And periodically when I was teaching, you'd see me flipping this down, looking down and saying, I need to be thankful. I need to be thankful. I need to be thankful that I just forgot that major point. I need to be thankful, you know, that that light is flickering back there. I need to be thankful, you know, that it's getting really hot in this room, you know. Be thankful that, you know, and it was like, uh, be thankful that we have heat. Amen. Okay. It's the little things. For me, cues, triggers are important. And see, I need that because I can walk from here to my office and forget what I went for. And I need something to help me to remember. I can forget my wife's name. Right, Penny? I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to walk out. You won't do this. 
I'll walk out of here and by tonight I'll, I'll be thinking, what was it that I preached on? And I'm the one speaking. <laughs> I need a reminder. I need a reminder that when I reach in my pocket, be thankful. Work on being a type of person that people can be thankful for. I'm going to need that tomorrow. I'm going to need it Wednesday. I'm going to need it if I go into a store between now and Thanksgiving. <laughs> I've asked the ushers to put two containers of these. One on the communion table and one by the welcome center. And my encouragement for you is pick something. You can grab one of these smiley face erasers. Or you can take something else but have a cue. These next two weeks. Have a cue of thanksgiving. Because if we don't purpose to work on it, we're not going to change. We're going to be the SOS, same old stuff. To be thankful, that's what we should be this Thanksgiving season. To be a person for whom others can be thankful, that's what we should be this Thanksgiving season.